Hello, and welcome to the show. This is the Goodwin Podcast, and I'm Nico Lapalusa, your host. And today, you get Nico with glasses. Huh? Yes, today is Nico with glasses. So you can expect things like a little extra wit, maybe a little boost in intelligence, um, because you know glasses. So, <clears throat> these glasses are blue blocker glasses. Have you heard of these? If not, I will tell you about them. Well, one, I used to have glasses, so I'm not a complete poser, right? I'm only a partial poser. I had glasses from sixth grade till about the age of 24. And then I got the Lasix. I got the Lasix surgery. A few things on glasses. How did people how did people evolve to have bad eyesight? How did that even happen? How did we slip through the cracks? Is what I'm wondering. When were glasses invented? I'm looking that up right now. The first eyeglasses were made in northern Italy, most likely in Pisa, by about 1290. In a sermon delivered on 23 of February, 1306, the Dominican friar Giordano de Pisa, it's Italian, wrote, It is not yet 20 years since there was found the art of making eyeglasses. So, so eyeglasses are, let's do that math, 800 years old. Humans are a million years old. Plus, humans as we know them are 60,000 years old. What did people do? What did people do? How did bad eyesight evolve to be a thing? Like, if you had to go hunting and foraging, like, the, the, I remember the first day I got glasses. I was playing basketball from K through it. I was on, I was playing baseball, basketball, and football. And sixth grade rolls around. Someone mentioned maybe I need glasses. I was in denial. I did not want glasses. Okay. My mom had contacts. She had the glass contacts, real thick contacts that she put in every single day. And, you know, I had braces at the time. It's like, damn, I'm going with the braces, glasses combo. This is my life now. I did not want it. Now I go to the eye doctor and I get glasses and I'm like, this is life. This is reality. For those who have never gotten glasses, for those with perfect eyesight, shame, I don't know. I'm, I, you don't know our struggle. But the first day you get glasses after not having glasses and having poor vision, it's, it's a thing. I've seen videos where people who are colorblind their whole life get like the the certain glasses that restore their color that shows you what the world is like without your colorblindness. And it's like weeping every time there's weeping in every video that I've seen. And I, I didn't go as far as that, but I remember like thinking I've been playing basketball and baseball with a handicap for like five years. 
or however long my eyes started to degrade. Like, was my eye, was my eye vision bad from the jump? When did it happen? And how did that happen? How do people evolve and survive? Like, I would just think that everyone with bad eyesight would just die. Therefore, natural selection would have created a human with only good eyesight. It really does, it makes no sense to me. How did evolution miss that one? Miss eyesight. So I get glasses, a whole new world. By the way, I was playing baseball, like travel baseball, and I was a catcher. Meaning I was having kids throw 60 mile per hour fast. You know, they're not throwing that fast. Actually, we had a kid that threw pretty pretty good. We were a state championship team. We had a kid throwing like 70 or 80, and I was his favorite catcher. I was. <laughs> I was good at blocking the ball. And how did I do it without seeing? Playing with a legitimate handicap. You get glasses, it's a whole new world. It's like leaves are individual. I thought a tree was just trunk and the leaf was it was trunk and leaf. I didn't know there was delineation between composing leaves. I thought it was just a formality. People would pluralize leaves. I thought it was like, yeah, leaves like there are trees. One leaf per tree. So to see like, oh my God, there's, there's fucking branches. And, and, the, and the net isn't just a solid piece of cloth hanging for, on a basketball hoop. It has like a pattern and a, and a design. It was a whole new world. A whole entire new world. And I did that. I did the contact thing for, you know, starting almost instantly. There's people who, who never have contacts and they freak out when they get an eyelash in their eye. Ew, this Like, yeah, I used to jam a dirty finger in my eye multiple times a day. And, and you're, you're crippled with, a, with an eyelash in your eye. It was a, it was a small nightmare, you know, contacts, especially now having come out the other side with having LASIK, which I'm not fully recommending and we'll get into that a little bit, but you know, the ease it's brought to my life, you know, not having to put my finger in my eye every single day. There's a thing. And I had some eye problems, man. Like I remember swimming in a lake when I was whatever, 12, 14, when I, something like that and Bacteria, you know, opening my eyes underwater and then the bacteria getting behind the contact. And then I had like an ulcer develop on my eye. I wore an eye patch, motherfucker. I wore an eye patch when I was 14. Being 14 was was the worst. I know it's the worst for everyone, but it was the worst for me. Being 13 and 14, I had a I had a severe head injury lost, you know, my ear got ripped off in my head, not fully, but down to the hearing canal. Like it was just hanging there. That's another story. And then broke, you know, and in that same accident, I broke my arm. It was a motorized vehicle accident, fell out of a car, a moving vehicle. 
onto some cement, messed up my face, ripped my ear off, broke my elbow, and uh, broke my ankle that year trying to snowboard on a sled. And uh, yeah, got a got a ulcer in my eye from wearing dirty contacts. So I wasn't, you know, it wasn't popping for me that first cycle of thirteen, that beginning of a new, a new era of thirteen years. And just having glasses, you know, changed my life, though. Being able to see, and man, LASIK is a fucking trip. You go in there, and it's basically, if you haven't experienced LASIK, you've seen Clockwork Orange, though. If you haven't seen Clockwork Orange, then you've seen the poster of Clockwork Orange, where the guy is sitting in a chair and his eyes are peeled open with like little prongs. Each eye is pronged open, and they spray your eye with a numbing agent, and they keep it wet somehow. And then you have to look into a fucking tube, this like huge fucking x-ray tube, and then they laser and trim your retina so that you can see, I guess. Now, most people, it's not a big deal. But for me, it was a big deal. It was like extreme pain that day. And it actually tripped me out and spiraled out of control, which I don't want to get into right now. And then it was it was as easy as that to stop wearing glasses. It was easy as that to stop putting in contacts. It was it was fantastic. But now, ten years later, having LASIK ten years later, vision's a little blurry and sometimes, particularly reading screens. Um Yeah, like reading the TV, like if I'm trying to scroll looking for a movie, reading the description on the TV sometimes doesn't work. Hence Nico with glasses right now. So these glasses aren't corrective, but they're blue blockers. And I don't know how much I'm... Like, I can still see the color blue. So they're not that effective. And for those of you who don't know, blue blockers, the idea is... There's blue light emitted from screens. And blue light, you know, taken in through the eye messes with our circadian rhythm. The sky is blue during the day and it is black during the night. So when you see blue light, it triggers your brain to be awake, to be alert. So when you're taking in screens in the nighttime that's emitting blue light, you're hardwired, you're like messing with your circadian rhythm. So your your brain is in this awake mode, it's still daytime mode when you really should be winding down for sleep. So the blue blockers, they block this blue light so that you can, I guess, maintain a normal sense of circadian rhythm. So you're supposed to be wearing them at night when you're taking in any screens. But I've been wearing them when I'm taking in screens just in general. And and I don't know how much I'm buying into this. It seems like a little bit of a fad type thing. 
little bit. Like I said, still seeing lots of blue in the sky right now as I look out the window. Definitely doesn't block all the blues. If anything, there's just like a yellow, a slight yellow tint. So I don't know, to be determined. They weren't, they were a gift for Christmas. So I appreciate it as a gift. And that's why, you know, I continue to wear them as such. And if you never got glasses before, or you've never had corrective lenses, you know, you're an elite human. You're probably the next step of evolution. And for that, I don't, you know, I don't appreciate you. I don't value you too much. Now, if you if you have perfect vision and you're wearing fake glasses, fuck you. No, I mean it's not. It shouldn't be that dramatic. It's not that dramatic. I, I must. I'm on one in a little way today. You know, there is such a thing as style, but to take someone's, you know, handicap because having poor eyesight it is a handicap. It is like no one's wearing. A knee brace for style. Like, oh my God, that neck brace looks so popping. Thanks. Yeah, I don't need it. But I I just like the extension it gives my neck. You know, it really breaks up the line from my torso to my to my face. It really frames my face quite nicely. Oh my god. That back brace is so fleek. No, that's that's a bad joke. We're not going anywhere with that. I think there's something there, but it's just... It's like glasses are medicinal. <laughs> They're a correction of a literal defect, which I still don't understand how evolution allowed bad eyesight to slip through the cracks. Because I had that negative two eyesight, but I know people with like negative 13, like you are legally blind without your glasses. How did you make it? How did nature let this happen? Someone answer me. <laughs> I need to know. And this all the way up until 1250 or whatever we said, it seems impossible. It's such a debilitation. And, and it just doesn't, I don't understand why people... You know, glasses can be stylish and therefore people will wear fake glasses in a sense of style. And why did glasses be associated with intelligence? Which I'm guilty of today. I think I started this podcast by saying you can expect a little more intelligence, which was a joke. It's not going to happen. That would be wishful thinking on your part. But if anything, it's like, oh, you are a less evolved human with worse eyesight. Which we we which we won't judge you for because because in 2020 we're not we don't judge people on the outside for anything unless it's a unless they're a white male or a male it's you know we're not judging people on the outside there is no spite there I'm I'm on one and I'm trying to be a little silly anywho it's like why did glasses be associated with smarts it's like it should just be seen, if anything, as like a form of weakness. It's like, oh, you're less ready for a fight. You get punched in the face. Oh, my glasses. 
glass shatters, and you're down. How did that happen? Is it maybe because goggles, protective eyewear? No, but like construction workers wear protective eyewear, and they're not considered... They're not considered smart, not that they aren't, because I think construction, being able to build houses, being able to recognize geometry, recognize strength and structure, there is an intelligence there. And I come from a long line of construction workers. Uh, Just not, yeah, I don't get it. I don't get how that stereotype took off. Maybe because people who have glasses are less likely to be athletic and and therefore had more time to dedicate towards mental pursuits. And with that extra time dedicated towards mental pursuits, there just happened to be a trend of more people with glasses were in this more intellectual fields because they were debilitated in physical fields. Because it is a debilitation. We know that. Hey, that's a sweet knee brace. Oh, that's such a cool knee brace. I wonder if um I wonder if people start doing that. Cause there is a there is so this is this is something that you can chew on. Think about this. The in fashion, this is a trend, a phenomenon. This is a trend about trends. In fashion, the wealthy imitate the poor. Think about that. The wealthy imitate the poor and call it fashion. It's such a such a strange phenomenon. For instance, blue jeans became popular in the 80s. Blue jeans were, and they became popular because San Quentin, is it San Quentin? The penitentiaries in the 60s would give their inmates blue jeans. Don't quote me on these on these eras, okay? I don't know if it was the 80s where blue jeans became popular. I picture like Fonzie in the 60s wearing blue jeans and uh, and that being a cool thing of some sort. But I did hear that blue jeans were first worn by prisoners and then that style was taken by fashion industry and made popularized. All you need to do is look at Yeezy's brand, Homeless Chic. Now, I'm kind of guilty of this. I was told about this trend and I think it impacted me so much that I did start wearing more baggy like beat up clothing, like clothes with holes in it. That's a 2000s thing. Jeans with holes in it. That's that's an example of fashion imitating the poor. Tethered clothing was because you didn't have other clothing and you had to wear the clothes with holes in it. It's such an interesting phenomenon. The rich imitating the poor and then putting a rich price tag on it. It's actually quite fucked up. So if you want 
this is and this is exactly I called face tattoos. I wish I started a podcast 10 years ago. I called face tattoos. And I said, maybe this hasn't happened yet. I said, we'll have a politician with face tattoos by 2040. So now you can mark it. I called face tattoos because I learned about this trend with blue jeans, with rips in your, with holes in your clothes. And I started to realize, oh, face tattoos. These are on tattoos in general. Tattoos started in, well, besides the, like the sacred lineage of the Maori people and like certain Asian cultures using tattoos, tattoo, American Classic American style tattoos originated in prisons. And now, look, I'm, I have tattoos as well. There's an imitation there. People get tattoos that don't have to go to prison. They became cool. They became popularized. And this trend is everywhere. So what is the trend of the future? You might be able to have a better perspective on this than I am. Maybe... I don't know, tent, tents, tent living, van, li- van lifestyle is already a thing. That's not really fashion. That's more of like a minimalistic approach and romanticization, romanticization, romantic idea of minimalist living. So maybe you can predict the next trend. Face tattoos have already kind of, it's kind of late to call it, but I, I swear I've been calling it for, for a decade, this face tattoo thing. Post Malone, Takashi 69 What is Takashi 69 I haven't dedicated, you know what? We won't go there. We're not going there today. I don't see, he's just a guy that's, caught some sort of trend and popularized this platform. There is something I want to talk about a little bit and we'll, and we'll flesh this out pun maybe intended. I do want to go in a little bit about this and kind of see where it goes. So in 2020, I don't see how this is still possible and I don't see how these people are getting off the hook. And I had this debate Last night I was having dinner with my parents and it came up and I was shocked the stance they took. And I just couldn't agree. I couldn't find myself to agree even halfway with what they were saying. And it's this. How in 2020 is it going to be okay for a man to be a gynecologist. Think about that. How is it okay for a man to be a gynecologist? It makes no sense at all. There is no reason for a man to be a gynecologist. Now, okay, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, when women just couldn't be doctors, they like weren't allowed into school. Like someone's got to do it. But okay, let's unpack who's the guy that goes to goes to medical school. And he's like, 
like okay i understand having a passion for vaginas i like i'm quite a connoisseur myself sorry about that no i'm not i am i love you know i love vaginas i do but i love them in a way that i you know not that i can't i can't heal them right i don't have the audacity to tell a woman about their vagina no matter how much i've researched no matter how many films educational films i've watched on the vagina it's like who let these guys who let this happen and i brought and i brought this up this was brought up and my mom's like what what are you talking about a guy a guy can be a gynec all i've known is guy gynecologist what what now it actually gets a little bit weirder in my family my dad's great uncle great cousin second cousin delivered me my sister and my brother from my my it stayed in the family my dad's uncle is my mom's gynecologist was my mom's gynecologist how awkward how awkward and who's letting these guys who's letting these guys be gynecologists you're in medical school and what do you want to be there's a decision you make where you become a specialist and you have to decide which route you're going and i just like i just picture the guy who's like like which area do you want to work on you know what do you want to specialize in and he's like vaginas looking around to see if anyone's gonna gonna scoff at him and and tell him he's being ridiculous you know he he was brave he he wanted to be you know to be in the vagina vagina theological field but he was afraid to say it and he and he, he's vaginas and and then the people are like oh okay and he's like oh i can't believe i got away with that I'm going to be able to look at everyone's vagina. I'm going to be looking at 100 vaginas a day. I made it. This is what I've been praying for since I've been since since puberty. I can't believe they're not busting me. It's like how are the, we allowing these guys to happen? Mom's like, "It's no big deal." My dad's like, my dad who's a doctor, he's like, or, "How can you even say that? They're they're professionals." They're, they're, you know, they're doctors, like doctors get a pass, like doctor can never, like a doctor can never be creepy. It's like, you're putting them in the position. He's like, well, a cardiologist can be creepy. It's like, okay, a cardiologist asks you to take your shirt off so you can listen to, to their lungs or heartbeat. You don't have to take a shirt off. You can reach under the shirt, put the stethoscope on the back, listen to the heart. So let's say they take, but like a gynecologist Take your pants off and spread them. You're in. You're already in. The chance for trauma is already there. You're at the doorstep. Literally, you're at the doorstep. Like, the the chance for a optop, like a, like a hand doctor, an orthopedic surgeon, you know, to get in, to t- like take your pants off. Well, my pain's in my wrist. You know, a gynecologist, take your pants off. Okay. 
It's already, you're already there. How, and, and we're not having even gone into guys don't have vaginas. Hey, how are you going to be able to tell me about the, like, there's no ability for empathy. That's like men running tampon companies, which they do, which is also fucked. How is this happening in 2020? Doesn't make sense. Doesn't add up. That's like me writing a book, the third trimester and what to expect. It's like, who is, who are allowing these guys to be gynecologists? This has to stop. This has to stop. Now that women can be doctors, which they always could have been, but now that they're allowed to be, it's like, this has, this doesn't happen. But what about women being urologists? Well, women have urethras, but you're right. They shouldn't be testicle doctors. It just doesn't add up. You can't read yourself into, like my mom's like, well, well, you had an oncologist. Was it okay that he didn't have cancer? Look, yes, that's okay. But that's a degree of separation. I don't need my oncologist to have cancer. That's not fair to ask. It is fair to ask for a gynecologist to have a vagina. That is fair. It's not fair to ask for doctors to have diseases so that they can empathize. But it is fair to ask for private parts, genital doctors, to have the genitals. It's not the same. Like, how is a guy going to tell you about your period? How are you going to put a guy in the position to tell you of authority, to tell you about your period, about your cervix or whatever? I, you know, maybe your ovaries are, are testicles that never dropped. So maybe they can tell you about your ovaries. Maybe they're inside the body testicles. But there's just other shit going there. There's other hormones going on that this guy that this guy can never experience. So my platform this year, besides sunning your genitals, which is important, got to get some vitamin D on your vitamin genitals. Besides bringing the bison back to the Midwest, you know, to restore the land, soil, waterways, and heal ancestral trauma. We got to put an end to the male gynecologist. We have to. We can't be giving these guys full-on access. It's just, as a guy, I know, okay? I know what you're doing. We all know what you're doing. And we don't like it. We all know what you're doing, and we don't like it. And if a woman, you know, maybe a woman wants a male guy, like who's the woman that wants a male gynecologist? Can't you get affection somewhere else? I'm not talking about like maybe get a massage from a man. I don't know. It's just ridiculous. This is 2020 we're living in. And there's, and there's male gynecologists. 
But it's not fair. I'm very passionate about about vaginas. Yeah, me too. Okay. And I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way. I'm going to learn how to talk to women. I'm going to learn how to court them so that they, you know, share their vaginas with me um, by their own accord. I'm not going to backdoor trick them into getting a yeast infection and then having to come crawl into me. We know what you're doing. But it's not, you know what, you know, men can't be gynecologists. That's it. I'm firm. Men can't be gynecologists and women can't be firefighters, okay? Or whatever, you know, yeah. Women, you know, you don't need to be a firefighter. There, that's how we that's how we make it fair for everyone. Men can't be gynecologists and women can't be priests or neurologists or astronaut, whatever, firefighters, military personnel, police officers, CEOs of companies. Like men have everything. You need gynecology? You don't. You don't. Birth doulas should be women. Gynecologists are women moving forward. And of course I'm kidding. Women can be neurologists and, and, uh, but not firefighters. Come on. Like, they can be the president of the United States. Leave firefighting to men. Okay? Give us this one. It's just ridiculous. Okay. So the rant is over. So I'm going to do a little... Uh, Answering comments. A little bit of comment answering. A little bit of comment answering. This is my latest video. Uh, Things I wish I knew before 30, part 32. Haven't looked at any of these comments yet. So, uh, yeah. We'll go in. So, for those of you who don't know, uh, the this video is about how anger can't be suppressed how there's been a suppression like any suppression any emotion completely suppressed leads to resentment it leads to stunting your growth it leads to heart attacks it leads to disorder in your system so i point out the fact that there is a positive way to use anger um or to express anger and there's also a negative way. There's certainly a negative way to express anger. There's no doubt about that. And that usually involves blame. It usually involves guilt. It usually involves violence. And there's the positive way, which is more along the lines of passion, resolution, and um, and uh, etc. So Simon Prolu. 76 says at six, five and 300 pounds, I've always been told not to express my anger because I would scare people. And then commented under belief. Teo Heyo says, honestly, I feel this, but as a black man, yeah, fuck. I can definitely see, you know, some of the biggest guys I know are some of the gentlest guys. Like they do. There is a certain making yourself small. 
this kind of reminds me like the meek shall inherit the earth. That, that, that always stuck with me. The meek shall inherit. I'm like, what does that mean? Most recently, I heard that the, the literal translation is those who have a sword but never unsheath it shall inherit the earth. Meaning, it's not that you don't have the capacity of anger. It's not that you don't have the fire. or you. It's not that you have to like put out your fire. It's the fact that you can let it burn without burning others. Like That seems to be a really, really important thing. And look, I can't speak as a black man. I can't speak as a 6'5", 300-pounder. I can speak as a a slightly above average man with a certain amount of tattoos. And I have definitely felt being a man around, you know, walking by myself, traveling by myself, being a man and like entering certain social situations where like the guard is just a little bit higher because I'm a, a man. That is something. You know, there is a power that we hold as men that people will try to cut you down instead of acknowledging the power and acknowledging it through love because they're they're just afraid at your presence. To that, I say there are people that will build you up, like that that aren't afraid of you, that will allow you to express. At 65300, you know, I crossing that physical barrier, expressing your anger through physical means... You know, that's da- that is pretty particularly dangerous. Black has nothing to do with it. I know some really good fighters who are black. I know some really good fighters who are white. I know some really dangerous people of all sorts of colors. And yeah, that racism and, and social stigma is a, is a real thing. Um, and I definitely don't have answers, you know, for all these things. Do find a way to express your fire. Because expressing anger doesn't even mean raising your voice. It could mean an intensity in your eyes. It could mean a certain lighting up of your brain. It could mean a speed of which you're speaking. There could be a fire or an aliveness. It can maybe be redirected into an aliveness as opposed to a thrashing about. Moving on. Please share with us a way to express anger in a positive, healthy way. That was by Anikisa Rasniki. I don't think you need to, like, look, space is great. If you need to take that space, take that space. But come back. And calm and with a with calm but firmness, you can be firm. You can speak how you've been hurt and you can speak what you felt. Without throwing haymakers, you can maybe take that space, take that separation, that's that small bit of time, reapproach the situation. Don't just let it go. It's not all about letting it go. You can reapproach the situation with a clarity and you can speak this clarity in a way that is not violent that is not attacking you can speak it in a way that is for you to be understood for the person to understand and for clarity and resolution
A lot of people are asking for examples to do this. I, I feel like that's the best. That's the best way to go. All right. If he nelsi, if he nelsi, two. Have you talked about using your phone as a distraction instead of feeling emotions? Not really, but I guess you know. Let's get into that. I uh, I've felt a certain discomfort with my phone. It was like last week. I was having like five, not bad days. They were bad days. Five bad days that just I couldn't seem to spiral up. You know, I was still like showing up to the gym trying to work out and like I was fasting. I was off food for for five of those days or for four of those five. And um, and I'm sure that contributed. You know, a lot of things came up. Listen to the last episode. I, I was ghosted by five or six people and like I was feeling down socially and and I would find myself going to my phone and just like kind of hating the experience. Just hating the experience. And then I, you know, I'd get myself to put the phone down. And uh, man, the phone is so strong. The technology is so strong. Some days it's just, it's just so out. I'm just so out of my mind to reach for the phone. Addicts and people who try to quit smoking talk about, you know, a, a, a time where they would have reached into their pocket, grabbed a pack, removed a cigarette, put it to their lips, lit it, and get halfway through the cigarette before realizing they even were smoking. Because it just has so ingrained into their habitual patterns. And that's why I do point to a lot of different pattern interrupts when possible. You know, plants psychoactive plants can be this i don't think it needs to like there are pattern interrupts that you can impose habitually to just just bring awareness to these addictions like just the three breath pattern interrupt it does wonders And the more times you can return to this pattern interrupt and make it a new habit, you can form a new pathway. The phone's a strong one. It's a strong addiction. It's the addiction of our time. Zay Persidol says, I try to be peaceful about my anger. It used to be bad, but over time I learned to remain calm. I think that's it. I think there can be a calmness, an intensity in calmness. You can be intense, but not violent. And I'm learning this in jujitsu too. Like, how do I practice increasing the intensity? I can't always just kind of flop around and meander about and be chill. Like, sometimes I want to test myself. I want to increase the intensity, but I don't necessarily want the violence. Like I want to practice at an intense level. Jiu-jitsu is great because you can, it's not getting, you're not getting taking punches to the face at full force. You can have intensity and grappling without, and you can practice every day at an intense level. That's part of the beauty of jiu-jitsu. And I'm learning how to like maintain like intensity without 
and I'm like learning where the line is when it crosses over into violence or wrath or no longer fun, like dominance and anger. Today, actually, there's a, there is a, a white belt and I, he's a new guy, young kid, 19. And it's been like his fifth day. He's been coming. He's been coming through, which I'm really happy about. And every time I would just kind of like, you know, not let him win, but just not impose on him. Basically play open guard. So like start on my butt, start on the bottom, try to let him pat, not let him pass either, but like establish grips and just like use his momentum against him. Like, like kind of do the gentle weight style of jujitsu where really I'm using all of his body weight against him, sweeping him and then taking submissions as they're given, not forcing them. But today, <laughs> today I, uh, I was in live because a, a brown belt is competing and he asked me to help him train for the competition this weekend. So we started from our feet and we just went for it and we were keeping score. I actually won, uh, I won seven to five and, um, and uh and that kind of enlivened me and then I, I i rolled again with another person and i was like going for it and then i came to this this guy this kid and i'm like well i've been easy on him these past 10 times we've rolled over the past five days and it's like i was lit so i was just getting my grips throwing my sweeps sweeping his legs getting on top and one t- i think at one point he was flailing and like caught me with an elbow or a knee. And that was enough for me to like inflict a little bit of pain, a knee to his throat, knee to his face, like just really using my strength, using a little bit of strength. And I caught him on like eight or 10 submissions, just, just kind of going buck wild. I'm not bragging. I, I am, I guess a little bit. He's a white belt. It's not, he's a new white belt. There's nothing to brag about here. My point is, is I brought an intensity. I even crossed over into that like anger threshold a little bit. And wouldn't you have it after the match? You know, a lot, I've had a lot of stern teachers and I'm like, Hey, fix your belt. Let's bow out. And he's fixing his belt and fixing his gi. We bow out. And he's like, can we go again? I was like, what? I was like, No. I want to roll with other people. I don't want to just, <laughs> I don't want to just beat you up. Like, like a little glutton for punishment. Can't believe he asked for it. For it again. Tough kid. Tough kid. Maybe a little bit of masochistic tendencies, but tough kid. And I hope he stays with it. Chris, if you're listening to this, stay with him, man. You got a lot to go in. You know, he started jujitsu at 19. You know, by the time you're my age, you're a black belt. So that's really fucking cool. So stay with it, my brother. Excellent. Well, that's, I mean, all the other comments aren't really questions. They're, they're mostly thank yous and, and, you know, hand claps. And that's nice. So, so we'll end it there. Thank you guys so much for being there. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, yeah, appreciate it a lot. If you like the show, leave a, leave a review, 
give us a five star rating. Those things help more than you think, more than I thought before. That's for sure. And uh, I appreciate you for being here so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Okay, I'll stop because this has been the Goodwind. <laughs>